Thanks, Josh Thomas. Grab your Bible, Psalm 84. These next several weeks, we're gonna be moving into some Psalms that you are much more familiar with. We are now in session seven of these lyrics for life. You know my heart, I love the Psalms. Many of you read a Psalm every single day in your devotional life. And let me tell you something, that's a powerful thing to do because the Psalms are filled with helps for us in our daily life. We come today to Psalm 84. Now let me just tell you the struggle that I have personally with Psalm 84, and that is how do you approach Psalm 84? I mean, this is really a great place for us to camp out five weeks. Now for you at more midweek, would you just lift your hand in in a testament that the pastor could easily spend five weeks in Psalm 84? Okay, I just, you see all these more at midweek people. we could take some key words, strength to strength, trust to trust. We could go through four significant words here. We could take a third, three, three, and three, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But today we're, we're gonna hit this Psalm and I'm really just gonna focus on two simple verses. But I want us today to read the entire Psalm. And then I wanna come back and focus on these very, very important verses as we uh, draw our attention. This is a pilgrim song. I've talked to you before as we've gone through this series. The pilgrims would make the way, every Jewish man three times a year would make his way to Jerusalem. There were those times when the family would go along, but think for a moment now, put your thinking caps on. It's tough when you have livestock and everything else to take off on a week, week and a half, two week journey to Jerusalem. There was work that had to be done. So often the the wife and children would stay behind. At other times, the whole family would go. But in doing so, these Jewish men would make their way. And along the way, they would sing. And many of these psalms are what we call pilgrim psalms. They were actually songs that were sung on their way to that great ascent to the city of Jerusalem. And this is one of those incredible songs. Now, as we read, I think we could divide this chapter up, uh, the Psalm 84, into three pieces. We could take verses one and four because that really deals more with the pilgrim's hope. And we could look at verses five and eight by the pilgrim's experience. And we could today look at the prayer that ends this psalm, verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, the pilgrim's prayer. But we have other things that God wants our attention on today. So let's just read this psalm, this pilgrim's prayer. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, it even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh, they cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in the house, in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it to a place of springs and the autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. 
And then listen to this prayer beginning in verse 9. Look on our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk, uh, whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. What a wide array of lyrics. And for us today, I just want you to rivet your attention primarily today to verses five and six. Because in the middle of this psalm, there is this what we call the experience section of the psalm. It's reflecting in the psalm with lyrics about some challenges in life. And today that's what I want to draw from our text. All of us have troubles in life. Not one of us goes through life without some troubles. In fact, when you come down to to that location, Valley of Baca, by the way, only time ever mentioned in the Bible, this Valley of Baca, how many times is it mentioned? One. One time right here in Psalm 84. We don't know the exact location. Could be referencing the Valley of Achor or one of these valleys going into Jerusalem, but we do not know. But most scholars would suggest it is probably a definitive place on the way to Jerusalem that no doubt was a very dry valley and these pilgrims recognized it and they knew it. By the way, that word Baca, that valley of Baca represents a place of sorrow, literally rendered there place of weeping, weeping place. Maybe you've heard pastors preach on this particular verse and maybe they use that weeping or that sorrow theme. And certainly we are gonna look at this concept of trouble today. You remember what old Phillips Brooks, the preacher of an earlier generation said? He said, look around you in the pew. In every pew sits a person with a broken heart. And every single service We're mindful, our leadership team here at the church, we know every single service someone comes to us with a broken heart. There is trouble around us. Sometimes trouble overcomes us with one simple medical test and the C word is announced. Sometimes trouble comes with a very soft, subtle voice like a soft breeze. I no longer love you. I want a divorce. He's on drugs. And the list goes on and on and on. You know, when we think about trouble, it's very important for us to understand that trouble is unavoidable. You know what our Bible says about that. Born of a woman is a few days and what? full of trouble. So if there would be someone here today that would be eligible to say, I'm not born of a woman, then you could stand maybe and testify, pastor, I don't have any problems in my life. No trouble here. But for all of you that are here today that are born of a woman, the Bible says you will experience trouble, unavoidable trouble. Trouble's unselective. 
it does not pick and choose. It gets all of us. It doesn't happen to just a few people, but it happens to everyone. Several years ago, I heard a guy, maybe you've heard of him before, by the name of Jerry Falwell, make a statement that when he made this statement, I thought, you know, I don't know where I agree with that or not. But Jerry Falwell made this statement years ago. Falwell said he believed that when we became followers of Christ as Christians, that we actually had more trouble in our lives than before we became Christians as pagans. And when he first said that, I thought, hmm, I don't know if I buy into that or not. But you know, the more of experience in life and the more experience that I've had in scripture, I believe he was exactly correct. When you think about the world headed on one path, the pagan world, and when we're unsaved, when we are a non-believer, when we're not a follower of Christ, we're in that general crowd headed down the side rock with the world. All of a sudden, the only way we can become a follower of Christ is repentance. We know what repentance means. It means to do a turnaround, to go the opposite direction, to go in another direction. So all of a sudden as a follower, now we've turned and we're moving on that sidewalk of life upstream against the world. And so trouble, trouble is going to find us all. It's unselective, but it's also unexplainable. How often have you and I found some trouble in our lives and all we could really do was scratch our head and say, you know, I just do not understand this. Paul said in Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, referring to God, his ways, God's ways are past finding out. No way to even begin to understand trouble in our lives and what God is up to. So quickly today, grab something to write with, join with me. I wanna show you these three incredible observations. I think they're gonna help us. I think they're gonna help every one of us. They've been helpful in my life as well. When we think about what the psalmist teaches us here in Psalm 84 about how you and I can understand trouble. And I want you to jot these three things down. Number one, right out of the text, look at it with me in verse five and six. The psalmist says, trouble is always tempered by time. Now, this is very important for us to understand. Trouble is always tempered by time. You know, our Bible makes this observation, weeping may endure for a night, finish it with me, but joy cometh in the morning. The Bible teaches us this concept, doesn't it? Trouble, when it comes to our life, is always tempered by the very grace of God. Now, you may, you may be in the valley now, but praise God, you're not going to be in the valley forever. Amen? You're not going to stay there. Now, look at what the psalmist said in verse number uh, six. As they pass, what's that next word? NIV translates it this way, as they pass through. Notice the psalmist did not say as they are in the valley. The psalmist said, as they pass through the valley. You do realize, don't you, that God did not design us for the valley. He designed us for victory. But you and I have got to understand, there's many times that we're going to have to pass through the valley in, 
in, in order to get to the mountaintop, in order to get to that sacred place that God has for us. I don't know about you, but man, the music the last several weeks has been spectacular. Can I hear an amen to that? So good. Josh, our musicians, such a blessing. I don't know about you, but I look forward to coming in here and worshiping and the music sets the very tone for God's word for us in our worship and it moves us somewhere, doesn't it? And, and, I'm, I, and, I, and, and I love that. But, but with that in mind, as great as it is, I've been thinking about writing another book this year. Many of you are not aware, but this, this fall, we're gonna be uh, doing the anchor part of our, a brand new book that I'm gonna write on Joshua, 20 weeks I'll be spending it with Joshua, with you, and each one of those sermons will become a chapter for us. But I'm thinking about writing another book as well. And I think it's gonna be the best-selling book of all time in church history. Here's the title of it. A hundred psalms that you can sing while sitting down. Now, some of you seniors are going to buy that book, aren't you? <laughs> Somebody asked me the other day, they said, Pastor, why do we have to always stand up when we sing? I said, well, you don't. You can sing sitting down. But you know, I, I don't know whether we stand up or sit down. But I know this, I'm so thankful for a worship pastor that selects music that has such great theology. So much of our music today is about the here and now. That's the tone of it. Now that's, that's, that's not unimportant. That is important for us to take God's word and have application to what we're facing now. But so little music today focuses on a broader picture, not just of the here and now, but the days to come. And as I've been talking about with our more at midweek worshipers every Wednesday morning, 1031, a gymnasium full of people, we forget that we are just ambassadors for God passing through. Two o'clock today, I'm gonna to go stand by the side of the bed of one of our members that's near death. Part, barring a miracle, the Lord's gonna reach down in the next few hours and gonna take him on into glory. But you know, every one of us is gonna to come to that point. It may be at age 86, it may be at age 53, it may be at age of 37, but we have a set number of days here on earth and all we are is an ambassador for the Lord. We're just passing through. We're not here for the duration. And that's so important for us to remember when it comes to trouble. Trouble in your life is always on a clock. Trouble is tempered by time. Jot this second very important truth down. It's important. Trouble can cause us to confuse. Now listen to these two words. Trouble can cause us to confuse process and purpose. 
process and purpose. You and I need to be able to distinguish between these two important concepts when we are in the midst of trouble. Go back and look in verse five and six. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on the pilgrimage. Now there's the launching pad for us, that word pilgrimage, journey, if you will. Maybe another way to term this process and purpose is these two words, journey and destination. We do understand that God takes us on a journey. He takes us on a process in order to accomplish his purpose, to get us to purpose, to get us to a destination. Then verse six, there it is again. We're passing through the valley, but we know the ultimate. There's an ultimate destination. In this case, for the pilgrim, it's the city of Jerusalem. It's a central place where God's presence is with his people. You see, process is what God uses to always get us to his purpose. Now, I want you to jot down some things that we've learned about this very important process. Three little quick things that I think will be helpful to you. When it comes to process over purpose, the first thing I think that's significant is for you to jot down is this. Process is unseen. And let me explain that to you. Process is unseen. We just are not able to see when we're in the midst of a process. Now you and I have perfect vision when it comes to two of three elements spiritually. We have perfect vision. And that is, first of all, we're able to do a good job of looking back. If I were to take one of these microphones over here and bring out a stand and put one over here and one over there and say, I just want to start right here with Rachel. Rachel, I want you to come up and give testimony to what God has done. Has, Rachel, has God been good to you? And Rachel, look at her bobbing her head. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Rachel would have no loss of words to come up and say, just share with us, just in a couple of moments. And finally, she would continue to share and continue to share how God's been good to her and continue. And finally, I'd just go sit down over there by Josh and get my water bottle because she would go on and on, but it wouldn't start there. Becky, do you know how God... And Even our bass guitar player could give some testimony today about how good God's been to him. He's got his arm around how good has God been to you. James Taylor. We have great vision when it comes to past work of God in our lives. What has God done? Man, we can give testimony after testimony. We can testify of what God's done for us. Great vision, almost perfect vision. But we're also almost perfect when it comes to looking forward. When we think about God's return and that excitement in our hearts in terms of what God is going to do, we see very well through the eyes of faith for a future day. We use the H word quite often. We're looking forward to heaven. There's a good word that you can use and use boldly and proudly that we're going to live forever with eternal life with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Our vision, we're able to see that. We're able to feel that. We're able to sense that. But there's a third vision that we just cannot see. 
And so often that is what God is doing in the moment. You see, this third direction, what is he doing now, is the one that is so troubling to us, so confusing. We have to make guesses. We have to, we don't have the word of God to tell us in April of 2021 what God's doing. It tells us what God did. It tells us in our Bibles what God's going to do, but very, oh yes, we can take the principles. But there's not a sketch in some book of the Bible about 2021. And because of that, the process and the journey is so difficult for us. Gosh, it was about eight or nine years ago, one of the men in our church was one of these big Gideon workers. I've always appreciated the work of Gideons. And uh, he came to him and he said, Pastor Mott, Pastor Mott, we're gonna have the Southwest camp meeting for like hundreds of camps all over, all over Arizona and New Mexico. And they're all coming here to this big, big hotel in Albuquerque. And I, and I want you to speak. I said, man, I've never spoken at a Gideon's regional conference before. He said, I'll just be you. Now, what does that mean exactly? Just be you. And so come to find out, man, this wasn't any little small deal. He, he told me, he called me the week before and then the day before. And he, he said, here's, here's kind of the general selection. And he says, well, what we have is we have these breakout sessions and then everybody comes into a two-part general session and I want you to speak in this general session. And he said, it has two, it has two, 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 two pieces. I said, okay, I got it, two pieces. And he said, you have to go exactly about 28 minutes now. And he said, Pastor, I'm asking you, 28 minutes. I said, well, that's just one point for me then. I'll just do a one-point message. And he said, then we're going to take a break and everybody's going to come back in there. And man, sure enough, I went down there in this big grand ballroom. There were hundreds of Gideons. They were dressed up, had badges on. And as soon as I got up there in this ballroom and I started speaking, this is no joke, I looked back there on the left side. It was kind of like this. It had three sections of chairs. Over here on my left, about halfway back in a chair, right on what they called an aisle. How would I say this? My wife is in here. Um, Because when I go to lunch, she's going to say, you shouldn't have said that. Um, she says I can't use guts <laughs> she maybe was the meanest looking woman I've ever seen when I was teaching anywhere she had this scowl on her face now normally you know me I'm just looking in the corners I'm not looking at you I'm looking in the corners but for some reason, I looked down there and I saw that lady and I thought, man, I hadn't even hardly started speaking. She can't be mad at me yet. Maybe she saw in the program I was from Albuquerque's first Baptist church. Maybe she doesn't like Baptists. I was thinking about that. And I just, every time I'd look over at, at her, boy, she just, just had a real ugly, I mean, like she was unhappy. And so at the end of that session, Everybody jumped up, potty break. They had refreshments and they blew a trumpet of all things to bring people back. When you hear the trumpet now, come on back in. 
they had a trumpeteer in there. One of the Gideons blew the trumpet. And so, and so everybody came back in. And sure enough, there she was. <laughs> Same kind of countenance. Boy, just, I thought, man, that lady, she, she's upset. Well, as soon as that thing's over, the, the guy that asked me that was kind of over the event, he came up and he said, now, Pastor Mike, I'm going to ask you before you leave, stand down here. We want our Gideons to have what we call Gideon's greeting. Well, I know what that is. That's just after church fellowship. That's where everybody lies and tells you how good the sermon was. <laughs> and you had all kinds of people that came up there. One man came up and said, Brother John, I'm going to be praying for you in the days ahead. And I said, well, it's Brother Mike, but thank you anyway for the prayers, you know. I mean, all that stuff was going on up at the front. But, boy, I looked up and here she was. Now, I'm not joking with you. Here she was. Back there at the back. Had that old scowl on her face. When everybody had just about, just John Wofford, the guy that asked me, was the only one standing up there. Here she came. She stuck that hand out. She introduced who she was. She was just outside of Phoenix, Arizona. And she said, I, I just want you to know something, Brother Cook. She said, I almost didn't come to this gathering of Gideons. My husband's been, well, she said, my former husband. Well, I guess she said, he's still my husband. But she says, after 43 years of marriage, he died just about three weeks ago. And she said, your words today encouraged me like you can never, ever imagine. And when I got into the parking lot behind that hotel and got in my little green Jeep, I just want you to know, I just fell apart emotionally. Because there for almost two hours, I looked at that lady and I judged her. She doesn't like me. I had no idea what was going on in her life. But I'll always remember that because you see, you and I need to understand something. We do not see well at all. It's the process is unseen to us. And I took that from that day that, you know, before we, ju before we judge the pastor, you have no idea what kind of spiritual baggage the pastor is carrying on any given day. We've got to treat everyone with grace. The process, did you get that down, is unseen. But can I just suggest something else to you? The process is also unhurried. Now, that's important. It's unhurried. The Bible says, be not weary in well-doing for in the due season. Did you get that? In due season, you'll reap if you faint not. You cannot hurry the processes of God. Why? Because God designed it. It's not going to happen until God's determined it's ready to happen. God is never in a hurry. At four o'clock somewhere in the morning, my little quick five-minute devotional today, Sunday's my quick devotional day. I have a few other things to do. But I still spend that time with God away from the sermon for just a few moments was on Abraham. And I really had... Frog I, 
kind of, kind of forgotten about the fact that God told Abraham at one point, your whole genera- your, your whole people, the father of these people that you are about to be the father of, they're going to spend years in bondage. God told Abraham that 425 years or so before God's children were ever in bondage. It just reminded me, God's never in a hurry, is he? But we get so impatient. You can't hurry the process of God. I'm just looking around here at some, there's so many great ladies in here and most of you that I'm looking at have, have had children. You've had, now you have grandchildren. But for all of you that have birthed a child, would there be anyone that would stand today and give testimony that at some point during that pregnancy, you got down on your knees and you prayed to God Almighty and you said, God, would you elongate this pregnancy to 18 months? <laughs> Shirley Newman, if you stand up, we have a special room for you in Rusk, Texas. <laughs> No one prays that. If you did pray something about the pregnancy other than a healthy child, you probably prayed something like this. Lord, would you allow this to be over quickly? Maybe a three-month pregnancy, full development. But you see, we can't rush or hurry up God's Process is a third thing when we got to hurry. Process is also, listen to me, almost inevitably, it is unenjoyable. Process is usually not a very enjoyable thing to us. We like the purposes, we like the destination, but we don't like the processes. These students sitting here today, they don't like going through algebra or geometry. They don't like going through acne and adolescent life many times. But there's, believe it or not, there's, there's going to be something at the end of the rainbow. I was watching yesterday. I finally got to see just a few minutes of TV. And one of my favorite things to watch each year is the Masters. As you know, they have limited commercials. Woohoo! Praise the Lord for that. But I was watching those guys, and they zoomed in on a couple of these young golfers, and man, I couldn't believe my eyes when I looked at the size of their arms. You know, there was a time when golfers were scrawny, and I mean that. They were scrawny. In fact, a lot of people don't even think golf is a sport. But now you could get a whole football team out there on the PGA Tour, and man, those dudes are stout. And as I was looking at them, I thought, you know, how did those guys get to be that way? Well, if you look carefully, there's six 18-wheeler trucks that are always parked at every PGA event. Six of them. And they have the most sophisticated training equipment in the world in those six vehicles. And so we don't see Rory 
at 4 a.m. in truck number three on certain search machine, and they all have physical trainers. And you know, I bet not one of those guys got up at 4 a.m. during the Masters and says, man, I'm so pumped about getting on the treadmill. I'm so pumped about doing squats. I'm so pumped about this fitness. I'm so pumped about this five-mile run. But boy, you let one of them put on that green jacket bank that $1.58 million check and suddenly the process is all worth it. But we don't like the process. Let me just say one other thing then we gotta close. They're gonna blink that little red light on me on the balcony there so I gotta hurry. Did you get trouble is tempered by time? Did you get that? Trouble can cause us to confuse process and purpose. Man, I hope you walk away with that. That's so important in our lives. Number three, trouble always arrives, listen now, with some opportunity. Trouble always arrives in our lives, it's important, with some opportunity. Now, I want to give you a little scriptural insight here. Go down to verse number six. We've talked about this valley of weeping, this valley of this place of sorrow. Maybe one scholar, Corson, said, hey, maybe it was a partial graveyard. Maybe it was this dry, barren, 25-mile stretch between two ridges of rocky area with no water. And maybe not only did people die there, but maybe this was a place where so many people brought their loved ones to be buried because they were broken in sorrow. We, we, we don't know, but I want to give you some insight into the end of verse six and make it a place of springs. Now, we know that evidently this valley was a place of barrenness, place of dryness. You don't make springs. There's either springs or there's not springs. And then it goes on with this phraseology. The NIV says the autumn rains also cover it with pools. Listen to what the King James says. They make it a well. The rain also fills the pools. Dr. Cole down here at New Orleans was my archaeology professor. I didn't do well in his class. I didn't like archaeology. I didn't care what a Negev was. He was always trying to get me to go to Israel with him and a bunch of students. We're gonna, we got a tail. I said, that, a tail's nothing but a bunch of dry sand that you have to shovel up in that heat down there. I know what a tail is. But Dr. Cole shared something with us that was really remarkable. It, re it really changed my life about this phrase. You see, when you look at it, even though there was no rain, one thing about this region is about 80% of the time they have, and East Texans will understand this, they had extremely heavy dew. And so it was not anything unusual to get up even in the barrenness in an early morning, just as the sun began to break and, and, and to see the ground like a light shower had fallen on it. And I, and I really believe the essence here. 
is that as these pilgrims passed through, what they would do, even though they were in a place of no water, they would get down and they would take some kind of small utensil. And they would dig out just... The Bible refers to it here as a well. They would just dig out a small, shallow crevice in the ground. And the next morning, especially the morning of the heavy dew, the light shower, there would be water in that small well. And so they would lean down there and they would drink from it. But the remarkable thing is, not only would they drink from it, but the others traveling in their party had the opportunity to drink from it as well. When you're in trouble, dig a well. The time will come when you can drink out of the lessons that you learn from that dry valley. Other people who drank of it as well. I wrote something down. I encourage you to do this as we finish. It's a hard thing for us to ever stomach. It's a hard thing for us to ever accept. But I suggest to you, and I believe it with all my heart, sorrows and sorrows we quite often that are designed for us really are designed for a lesson for another. Sorrows, trouble, and hardship in our life, even though it happens to us, I would suggest to you that often it's really intended for a lesson and help for someone else. Jot this down, 2 Corinthians 1.6. Listen to what Paul said. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. Do you think it's possible that in the process at times of trouble that God is doing, remember we can't see it. Trouble's unseen to us, not the trouble part, but the process. But it provides us an opportunity to help someone else. Now pastor, let me make sure that what you just said, I heard it correctly and process what you said. Did I hear you say that I'm going to at times potentially experience some trouble in my life that the intent really is that I walk through that to get closer, look closer to the destination that God has for my life, but more importantly, so that I can help someone else. My story becomes a help in their life. And the answer is, Yes. In evangelical life, one of the most embarrassing things of all is for a lady to say, you know what? I had an abortion. That just does in every room what it just did in here. You put your keys down, you got still, and you start staring at me. For someone to walk in to this room with me today and look at this family that's over here on the couch watching this loved one die right before their eyes and somebody walk in with me right next to me and say, you know what, that happened to my dad just six weeks ago. 
What would that mean to that family that's about to walk through this? And the list goes on and on. Cancer, death, aging parents, Alzheimer's, dementia, widowhood. Could it be that as the psalmist, the pilgrims made their way up to that ascent to Jerusalem and they came to that valley of dryness and sorrow that the little well was just a reminder as God would fill it up time and time again faithfully of God's incredible, incredible faithfulness to us while we're in the journey. Pray with me this morning. Lord, thank you for these few moments in your word. You are truly an amazing God. Is there someone here today, Lord, that's struggling? Trouble has found their way into their life. They're embarrassed. They're hurt. They're wounded. They feel like they were mistreated. Or maybe even more painfully at times, they feel they have mistreated someone. Father, for a family that has fallen apart, for a family that's fallen on hard times, they cannot understand the very process. It's unseen to them at this moment, but if they could just latch on to Psalm 84, these incredible words of the psalmist, teaching us to understand trouble, the lyrics for life. And Father, for us to be able to walk away today that said maybe, just maybe, as God continually fills my little well, even in the most difficult of environment and situations and circumstances, I gain more and more trust in God. As the dew falls on the ground, I trust my Lord ever more faithfully. And Father, could we be so bold to ask today that you would in our lives allow our story our process, our journey to impact the lives of those around us. And these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.